Thank you, KT, for joining us in our first edition of our podcast here at the AIA convention in Las Vegas. Uh, we're very glad to not only connect manufacturers, architects, but also the ones who are bringing uh, technology and efficiency into our industry. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, to start, can you tell us uh, about the focus of Shadow Ventures? Yeah. So at Shadow Ventures, we're focused on investing in technology companies that are transforming the built environment. So those are technologies during the design phase, the construction phase, or even facilities management and property management. So uh, we focus on technologies that are transformative uh, to all those phases of the building, of uh, the built environment. Um, we generally invest half a million to a million and a half dollars uh, in companies. Generally, these companies don't even have revenue yet. It's usually two or three people. They have figured out some technology um, and we help foster them along. Um, so that's what we do on the investment side. But part of that is we run a global incubator uh, of all these startups. So last the last 12 months, we've had over 160 startups apply to our incubator. We accepted 30. Um, and then we run different programs on those 30 to help, help them evolve. Perfect. And the... Well, our construction industry is very wide, and as you say, it goes from early stages of design to the life cycle of the building, which right. is PropTech. Um, is there any particular focus or for you is this whole chain? It's the whole chain. We, we focus on the whole chain. Um, the only thing is I would say we focus purely on commercial, so we're not doing anything in um, any consumer type products or anything. Oh, perfect. Yeah. So, what? For some will be B2B only. What was that? B, for, what for some will be B2B. Yeah, mostly B2B. Perfect. And what the, well, recently there has been a lot of uh, information surfacing in relation to this uh, build tech, mm-hmm. let's call it that way, mm-hmm. uh, industry with the venture capital uh, growing at a rate of 300% last year, mm-hmm. this TechCrunch article. So it is setting that there is a, a market ready for disruption. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, you see reports that construction is the less uh, technified industry, almost closer to um, agriculture. Mm-hmm. But also you see prop tech or real estate that are some ends of this industry being heavily digitalized. What is your vision on, on the current state of yeah. this industry and the opportunity? Yeah, so I think you know our industries, whether it's real estate, construction, architecture, these are some of the oldest industries. And because they're the oldest, they're very old industries, they're also highly commoditized. So everybody's working on very low margins, um, which means innovation is very hard. Adopting technology is very hard. Uh, what we've seen happen and the shift happening is, you know, technology's become very inexpensive. If you think about mobility, even 10 years ago, going to a job site with a laptop and trying to figure it, you know, that was very expensive. Now we have phones and iPads, um, so the technology's got, has become very cheap. And then you also have things like cloud that have reduced the cost of technology. Um, the other thing is we have a generational shift. Now you have people in positions of authority and influence in these firms, as well as the customers, the owners, the developers. Um, that are now at an age where they've always had a computer, uh, they've always had an email address, and so they don't view the good old days as being that good. They really view it as highly dysfunctional. So there's a lot of demand coming from the top. 
So if you take the cost of technology, the ubiquity of technology, and the generational shift that's happened in our industry, um, that's what's driving a lot of this behavior. So we're starting to see much better adoption. Interesting because as, uh, these solutions aim for to improve an industry, uh, just for being online, uh, they have the chance to fall into the hands of, let's say, people outsi outsiders. Mm -hmm. um, and as human beings, we all have hard coded in a way to, to build mm -hmm. because it's what enables right. us to, to, to create our shelter, to evolve as a species. species. And now we think that this, uh, or, or what some, um, some people tend to say, the architect that we all have inside us mm -hmm. is in an interesting uh, moment to come out thanks mm -hmm. to technology. Yeah, I mean, I think we now have tools. <clears throat> My first job out of college was as a civil engineer. And my boss told me, you know, customers will always take forever to make a decision because they don't know how to read drawings, right? It's your job to explain what's happening because they're a developer. They don't know how to read construction drawings. Um, and so they don't know what decisions they're making because they don't know what they're looking at. So it's incumbent on us as a design professional to explain what's happening. Um, what's happened now with that is whether it's BIM or augmented reality or just general visualization tools, um, the end customer now understands what they're looking at and they now have an opinion. Now, a lot of designers and architects don't want them to have an opinion, <laughs> but the reality is now they can see the building. They don't have to depend on another person. And when people can actually see what they're buying, right? If an owner, if you think about it, an owner can buy uh, a product sight unseen for $200 million, and it's a lot of just trust, right? It's the biggest purchase someone makes sight unseen as a building. And now we have these tools like VR and AR and BIM and 3D. I mean, all these tools, they can actually understand what they're, what they're buying and how it's gonna work. Well, this is very interesting because for sure, visualization was one of the first to, to adapt. Uh, even the gaming industry, all these, uh, visualization engines that enable architects to deliver uh, real uh, physics, real light in their simulations with a very low, very low barriers, mm -hmm. very low cost. But the other component that you mentioned, and which is um, perhaps at the core, it is the drawing. In a way, the architect came uh, as the first specialized professional on delivering drawings of something that had to be built and as you say, outside the field, no one can read this. In a way, it's our code. Mm -hmm. And thanks to BIM, it is now becoming an accessible code, um, code that you can connect, interconnect across disciplines, across uh, systems. And uh, thanks to this code, you can also plug machines. You can mm -hmm. plug robots, you can plug drones, you can plug sensors. Uh, what do you think about the this current state of interconnection into what's, what used to be very offline? Well, the, the challenge has been that we've deployed all these technologies um, that are essentially doing automating bad behavior, right? So a lot of the technology is not really improving. It's just, it's improving our workflow, but it's not improving the end product. And part of that gets manifested when you start talking about connecting all these systems. And part of the challenge is you have incumbent software companies like Autodesk or whoever um, that are 
somewhat proprietary. So their incentive is not to talk to each other. Um, so part of it has been, if you really want to go from designing in the computer to a robot building the building, uh, you have to have that interconnectivity, but you also have to have best practices to manage that. And in the current state of the industry, there aren't a lot of best practices uh, around how you manage data. Yes, this has been quite a, an issue because they did it. In the world, there is a big concentration of some of these software vendors, and when they are, they do this lock-in. Mm -hmm. But now things are changing and changing fast. I think uh, they were uh, slow to adapt to the openness of the internet, but luckily, everyone has agreed that this has has to happen. Yeah, and what we look at it is we say if you look at it, if you study history, uh, in the '90s, Microsoft was that way. They were very closed. And then Google comes along and all these Salesforce comes along and that changed everything. So part of the way we look at it as investors is we're looking for that next company that's going to disrupt these software companies that have been around for years, been around for 20 years, um, because we think that's what starts to happen. You have to have, uh, we've gone through consolidation with technology. Now you have to go through a, a cycle of uh, of, of fragmentation with new startups and new companies coming along that will change the way we do things. Yeah, and this fragmentation is interesting because it no longer depends on the big guys to push the industry because you know that big companies for them is uh, hard to adapt and also there is the question why? Mm -hmm. If you control or you dominate something you don't want to change. Um, but there is an interesting relation, let's say, with the big manufacturing, the, the ones who own the lines, mm -hmm. in a way, and the small startups, because when it comes to construction, you are dealing with atoms. It's not, uh, you don't uh, go like three guys in a garage just coding. Some, at some point, you will need to enter into the atom mm -hmm. <laughs> sphere of it. And uh, for that, you need real backing, either from the industry or a lot of money. In a way, what Caterra had to go. Mm -hmm. Caterra, uh, this startup, mm -hmm. had a big bet, but for that big bet, had to take massive funding. Mm -hmm. So what do you think about this uh, in relation to startups and physical things and the yeah. amount of investment? So, I mean, if you look at Caterra, um, just like there's one Caterra, there's a hundred companies trying to beat Caterra. And what they've done um, is really said, we're going to connect everything. Right? They're manufacturing their own building products. They are, they've built their own software to manage the process. They didn't go to Autodesk or whoever and say, let me buy your software and we'll run everything. Um, they have had to build proprietary technology and software and hardware to do it. But part of it is, instead of being a, te a purist technology company and having to convince the industry and convince all these players to play well together, right? if you look at how we keep iterating collaboration. Oh, we need IPD, we need design build, we need all these systems to try to be more collaborative. Um, Katera said, we're not worried about that. What we're gonna do is we will be all of it. Right? We will take financial risk, we will design, we will build it, we will manage it, we will own the entire thing, and therefore we will deploy technology across that entire life cycle because we're part of it. It's, it's important to us, you know, it's our, it's, our, it's our project. Instead of trying to say, oh, you need to adopt this software, you need to do this, we need to do IPD. They just said, forget it, we'll own all of it. Um, so when you, when you do that, you have 
highly aggressive innovation because you don't have to ask permission. You don't have to have buy-in. Um, and just like there's Katera, there's a hundred more companies out there that are doing what Katera is doing in different markets and doing different building types. And it's very nice to have this uh, race mm -hmm. because the problem is big and in a way the pot at the end of, of, the, of the race is will be very big because if you are able to scale construction, mm -hmm. uh, the payout can be massive. Absolutely. In, from the startups that you have seen uh, from Shadow, uh, which trends or let's say clusters mm -hmm. are you seeing in relation to build tech? Yeah, so we're, we see a lot of uh, we see a lot of workflow improvement, uh, BIM process improvement, um, which are all nice. You know, some of the deals we've done, we were investors in a company called Icon 3D that does 3D printed houses. Um, that was a $9 million round in Texas. Uh, it was the largest seed stage investment ever made in the state of Texas. Um, but Icon can print a 3D, 3D printed house in 24 hours uh, for under $20,000, right? So we're looking at transformative things like that. We, we also look at a lot of interesting data-oriented companies where as an industry, we have lots of data sitting on hard drives and cloud or whatever, but no one's really leveraging it to automate anything. It's just there, but no one knows how to use it. So we keep identifying startups that are really leveraging uh, that data stack out there. Um, well, Icon for sure has been one of the most uh, visible ones mm -hmm. because it is this promise uh, in the future you will print your house. Mm -hmm. uh, me as an architect and into technology, five years ago you will ask me about that, I will say 10 more years. Mm -hmm. But it's happening very fast for me. I, I saw a YouTube video about uh, it was like a morning show mm -hmm. uh, art, uh, report on this and it was super interesting, the team behind it and their vision and understanding uh, what they could tackle. At, at the beginning they were focusing on affordable housing mm -hmm. Uh, and with um, something that was very striking, at least for general audiences, the people Absolutely. that have talked about this, they say, whoa. In, in relation to this uh, housing manufacturing, um, what do you think about the necessity to shift uh, an industry um, from building with materials, let's say sand, concrete, to mm -hmm. building with products, products that can be panelized, modularized, ship, assemble? Yeah, I think the whole idea of uh, highly configurable products that can be shipped and, uh, and moved around and connected easily, we, we're seeing a lot of those, a lot of those technologies. Um, I think the biggest thing when you look at the industry as a whole, everyone, uh, I spoke at a conference two weeks ago and they said, well, we're, we're going to be disrupted and you know, because of all this technology. And, it's, and what I try to explain to people is your business model needs to change. It's not the technology, it's the business model. And you have to explore different types of business models because um, just like a manufacturer might get into more components and you have panels and all of that, you can decide that that's gonna disrupt you or you can find your next new business model that leverages that technology. And I think that's the challenge to the industry is whatever business model you have today will be very different in five years. 
And you're seeing it, we see it with mechanical engineers. Mechanical engineers are now getting into design build, right? Because they're realizing this, we need a different business model. Uh, we're seeing them get into commissioning and life cycle management of the, uh, of the building. So everybody has to rethink, not, not because of the technology, but because the business world has changed. And you have to really rethink your business model first. And then there's all this technology behind you to support your new business model. This is interesting because today most uh, construction material manufacturers, for them the best the business they can make is to uh, get the contract to do one big uh, office building. Mm -hmm. They will put all their efforts into selling 1,000 windows. But now that um, the barriers for building and as more people from outside the industry, outsiders are entering into this and are buying construction materials, they are buying windows, mm -hmm. uh, you can see a future in which instead of selling 1,000 windows for a building, mm -hmm. you could supply 1,000 windows for 1,000 homeowners who are right. doing their own, their own thing. But then you have to have this change of mentality because for a construction building material manufacturer to sell to an end consumer is a pain. Is then you will lose money on just delivering the the product. Yeah. Well, the challenge with the the current building product manufacturers, um, they have massive manufacturing um, factories all over, highly centralized, and then they have to work. They have to work with a set of small SKUs. They can't do anything custom, they can't think that way because in order to retool or re-engineer anything in their factory, it's very difficult. So if you look at uh, how mass customization works, what we're seeing now is, and even in building product manufacturers, we're seeing a lot of startup building product manufacturers come along because people want unique and different. You know, no one wants the same light fixture that five different manufacturers can provide. People want a unique experience. And if you look at how mass customization, you look at robotics, and the idea of instead of having, you know, we're working with several companies right now, instead of having centralized large manufacturing, they're doing highly distributed, very you know, build on demand, mass customized factories that are much smaller, but they're nimble. So if you need a door of a certain size, you can get that custom door, but you can get it for the same price as a mass manufactured door. So you start to look at the, that behavior. You're, seeing, you know, you're already seeing it in other consumer markets. I uh, have one company in the apparel industry. We have robots that make clothing, and we're seeing it there, where uh, if I can get a custom product built for me, but at the same price as a mass-produced product, why wouldn't I do that? Um, so the entire supply chain is changing. Instead of being highly centralized manufacturing and lots of distribution and warehousing, it's moving much more to on-demand and highly custom. It is interesting to see this in the history of architecture. Only a century and a half ago, it was all about this singular creation, this my home, my shelter, customly create, but at a very high cost. Then, during the post-war, 100 years ago with the Bauhaus, we had to rationalize everything. We had to mass-produce housing, and that meant to embrace um, lines of production, mm -hmm. so mass production at a cheaper cost. Mm -hmm. In a way that ended up shaping our um, cities, our, the, the conception that we have about building. Mm 
this mm-hmm. uh, the image of suburbia mm-hmm. or even the concept of um, a tall building as the repetition of the same floor the most efficient but now with mass customization we can foresee a future that will have a very particular aesthetics it will be much more like a generative algorithm mm-hmm. than these pristine images that we tend to relate to parametric architecture to mm-hmm. this futuristic white flowing structure structures and for sure that that will uh, pose an interesting uh, challenge not just for the aesthetics of it but that this mass customization will mean a diverse stakeholders that in a way need to work orchestrated Mm -hmm. because this future city in a way could start being like the informal city that is very organic but we know that in in a developed context there will be somebody setting the rules so how do you see on who will uh, play this role? Will it be governments? Will it be real estate developers through pricing? Yeah. Well, I mean, government just gives you boundaries, right? They're boundaries. And I think what you, when you look at mass customization, at the end of it, it's the user and consumer preference that keeps changing things. You know, all of a sudden we want to be in tiny houses. You know, 10 years ago we wanted to be in big houses. You know, there's a constant change of preference much like fashion from the consumer. You know, oh, I want highly modern. No, I want more rustic. You know, they keep changing their mind. That's how consumer behavior is. So I think as people contemplate developers and municipalities, when they look at a project, they can't just look at its current use, but they have to understand ahead of time how it will adapt. What's the adaptability of it for reuse? How's it going to shift? You're already seeing conversations happening and even policy happening because of autonomous vehicles. They're saying, why do we need a massive parking deck if there's no cars to park? And if we build a prefab parking deck that has all the angles, how can I convert that to anything? So now they're starting to say, well, no, new parking decks need to be able to be converted into into usable space at some point because if autonomous vehicles happen or when autonomous vehicles happen, we don't need parking garages anymore. In our residences. So how do you how do you adapt to that? What are we doing with all you know, what are we doing with all these? We're sitting here in Las Vegas, there's lots of parking decks. What happens to all those parking decks? Quite a challenge because uh, the life cycle of a building is between thirty to fifty years. So we need to now be think it is well, how will we think in yeah. this in this future? It's super challenging. Right. I mean you can't think about today. You have to look at every potential scenario between now and fifty years and understand how that building can be adapted. The other thing is, I mean, as much environmental impact we have, and we're the number one contributor to everything in in the world, and if we're going to keep blowing up buildings and rebuilding buildings, um, you know, that's not sustainable. Yes, for this you need a lot of commitment in a way. Mm -hmm. And, uh, well, from Shadow or other companies in the space that you have seen, are there any founders who caught your attention, who are like living in terms of the spirit, the energy, and the vision that this needs? We, I mean, we. So when we take companies into our incubator, um, you know, we look at the technology, we look at the idea, we look at the market. Uh, but these are such young companies. We have to look at the founders. I don't think any of our founders are not energetic. Um, the challenge that they all deal with is in our industry. We have a lot of first-time entrepreneurs. 
right? This isn't the ex-Google, the ex-Facebook person goes and does a startup. This is the former BIM manager. This is the former VP of virtual design and construction. This is These are people from the industry that have never done a tech startup before, and they're doing it for the first time. Um, the enthusiasm, the energy, all of that is there. Uh, we spend our time really finding that we have to spend time with the skills building because they just haven't had exposure to building a startup. So that's why we that's why we have our incubator. It helps us understand them, understand what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are, support them with their weaknesses, help them focus on what they're good at, and let them focus on that. Um, but you know, we have all the I would say every one of our CEOs is very high energy about the problems they're solving. The benefit we have in our industry is that we're solving real problems. These aren't, you know, I'm not sure what problem Snapchat is solving, right? I'm not sure what problem Instagram is solving. Um, those are all more esoteric uh, cultural problems maybe, but in our world, we're solving actual problems. Icon is solving a real world problem, right? It is about getting affordable housing, making sure everyone on the planet can have a home. Those are very real world problems. And most of our startups are solving very real problems, not some made up, you know, some made up problem out of Silicon Valley. These are all real problems. And so most of our people are very energetic and you know, their enthusiasm uh, is tremendous. And it's also, um, you know, it creates in our community of startups, a lot of energy because once again, people are, are looking at startups that are changing the world, not just startups that are building an app. No, and just, just by looking at the scale of what has to be built in the next 30 years to deal with the growth of population, make it a big challenge. And it's very transversal because we can all say this is our north. Right. And as you say, it's very tangible and real. In, I hope that uh, in our audience there will be this type of architect, the one who has technical knowledge, has a certain vision, sees a pain point in the industry uh, and gets inspired by this conversation. What would you recommend to them how to start entering into this yeah. uh, build tech industry? I think getting involved. You know, we, as part of our incubator, we have a massive community. Uh, we call it our disruptors. And these are all people that are in a architectural firm, engineering firms, construction companies, real estate, um, that think differently about the world and they need to s spend time with other people that are thinking differently. Um, so we have this great community of disruptors. I think I was telling you later on we're doing a happy hour, probably have you know 50 or 100 people there. Um, and these are all people within firms that are really trying to make change and they're trying to change the world. Um, they currently might be at their firm. But they're also trying to explore, can they go work for a startup? Can they start their own thing? And they want to learn and engage. And we do these all, all year round. Um, and then once a year, we do our summit. So September 17th and 18th in Atlanta, uh, we have our shadow summit. And that's where everyone comes along. And one of the things that we've done, I think, well in our community, while we have architects and building product, you know, Schneider Electric has been a big sponsor of ours. They... And WeWork has been a massive sponsor for us. Um, while we try to work within the industry, we also expose our startups to technologists that know nothing about the industry because our industry is lacking you know, bleeding edge technologists. If you're the top roboticist in the world, 
you're not coming into the construction industry. There's other industries they'll go to. We have a tremendous network with those people. They don't know anything about construction, but they're the top roboticists. So those are the types of people that our community really connects with and is able to ask real questions and really challenge. You know, don't just create some BIM plugin, go build something to rethink how BIM is done, right? And part of that is being surrounded by hardcore technologists that really want to drive change. Perfect. So in this summit, besides the talks, there will be showcase demos. Yeah, a lot of it is um, understanding what all the other firms are doing with technology. Um, we have some great speakers lining up that are amazing innovators globally, not just in our space. Actually, they know nothing about our space. Um, but we want to expose our industry to those mainstream technologists because it's important. We can't stay within our own four walls and drive change. We have to be exposed to other industries and what they're doing. Otherwise, we'll just come up with an iterative innovation, not something transformative. Perfect. Um, when you think about the problem of the autonomous car, mm -hmm. uh, then you see that it's spin off to other problems, such as there is a problem about battery. There is a problem about batteries on their own, problem about networks of charging. Recently, Elon Musk was launching satellites because cars, when they go big distance, they will need a different type of internet connection. Which of these, uh, let's say, more lateral thinking kind of um, resources or problems uh, we will end up seeing in the future of construction? Um, I think we're seeing a lot with the job site. You know, um, If you look at building product materials, they are generally designed for a human to install them. A sheet of drywall is designed so one person can carry it and put it up on the wall and that it's manageable. Once you start talking about using robots and even augmented you know, exoskeleton type product, I don't need one CMU. Give me the whole wall. I'll pick up the whole wall and put it in place, right? So now you're starting to see how do building product manufacturers think about not just a human using the product, but maybe a robot uses the product. So thinking about that form factor, and I think when you look at autonomous vehicles, um, a lot of that autonomy, that technology, whether it's computer vision and machine learning, um, will be applied to the job site. We're already seeing it applied to the, to the job site. And the job site, this is another also important thing uh, to think about. Um, traditionally, the job site generates a lot of employment. Mm -hmm. uh, construction is a, a well, as a, a construction itself generates a lot of employment because you need many hands. Mm -hmm. uh, and there is this whole dilemma on what will happen in the future with autonomous vehicles, all the truck drivers, well, already the mm -hmm. taxi drivers. Uh, but for sure, this can have a deep impact into the the workforce. Absolutely. And I think right now, if you look at it, we, we have a shortage. You know, in our industry, we have a shortage of workforce. Um, we don't have a great pipeline uh, generationally coming into our industry. So I think, uh, I, I, told, I was giving a lecture the other day uh, at Georgia Tech, and I said, if it wasn't for BIM, the architecture schools around the country might be empty. Because innovations like BIM made it interesting again for a younger generation, for a gaming console and esports generation, 
you know, if you said, no, come be an architect, here's CAD and go draw window details for the first year, the current generation would have abandoned our industry. But for them to come in and use something like a 3D tool like BIM or, or AR or VR, they're now super interested in our industry. And, and I think you're going to continue to see that this innovation will start to attract better talent to our industry. Um, and then we see what happens with the rest of the labor, right? The reality is uh, we've gone through these, you know, if you look at this saying it's the fourth industrial revolution, um, we've been through these and people have turned out okay. So, uh, so we'll wait and see. Well, thank you, KP. Absolutely. And we expect to see many startups coming from your accelerator, accelerator from your fund and to start pushing 